so this is some recovery stuff for yeah, your recovery for like muscles and muscles joints. and joints. Yeah, that same thing you tried that BCAA. Okay. But they sell it in a pill form called Phoenix. It's like an extreme recovery. So if you run like a marathon or something hardcore like a mountain 10k, and your fucking legs are jello, you can't walk mm-hmm. the next two days. Like I did the 10k up there, and my legs were so sore I could like barely sit down without like using my arms. Are you talking about when you did the Cameron Haynes uh-huh. thing? Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And so that uh that's the stuff I'm getting here is I'm just getting some of the stuff I used there and then like the hydrate stuff I had cuz they gave us a bunch of this stuff. And so I was like, cool. And so I'm buying it to update my thing so I can throw it in my hunt pack and have it. But So when you go hunting, what do you take with you? Um tent, a bow, food, it depends on how long I go for, you know. But Tent, food, bow, and then and do you take any of the recovery stuff with you as I well? I do. I try. Right yeah. on. I, I believe mountain op stuff all the way through and through. I'm a I'm either a sucker for it or I uh um I'm either a sucker for it and I just think it works or I really feel like it works because I can do like a fucking brutal workout. Like today I did I worked out for a full hour straight, nonstop. I mean, 140 heart rate for an hour. Oh, yeah. And then I, I burned, just on the treadmill, I mean, we burned 400 calories. And then I got off, got on the machines, hit as many machines as I can. And I do a lot of calisthenics. I don't know if you're into that. Mm-mm. Burpees. Dude, yeah. Navy SEAL burpees. Pain in the ass. Dude. <clears throat> fucking bust. We'll do a couple Navy SEAL burpees tonight. And be like, <laughs> you'll be like, fuck doing bench press. I'll do Navy SEAL burpees. Yeah, no kidding, man. So, cool. So you you got super kind of into fitness lately. Huh? Do I need to put those on? Yeah, you can put them on if you want. Yeah, oh. we're already go- going. Oh, okay. I hit record a while ago. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I, I usually do that to people because it's... It's get, more natural. Yeah, it gets them into the conversation already naturally. Because if you just say, hey, go, yeah. they're like, yeah. oh, fuck, you know. Oh, shit. I'm so, on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, that's cool that you, um, you've been getting in shape and everything doing that and um, gearing up for, you've already been on the hunt. The deer what, hunt. The deer hunt. And so did you do bow or rifle? Bow. So it's been yeah. bow season? Yeah. I don't even concentrate on rifle almost anymore. I got... Uh, 10 days total of rifle hunting and neither the first five days is nothing for me. I'm literally going out to help a buddy of ours, Gilbert and then, uh, Brian and then Megan, my wife, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to go help her. And then if Brian and Megan have already got their first deer ever and Gilbert's been with us like five years and he's always, he's always the road hunter, you know, he's always, drinking whiskey yeah. out, doing his thing he's kind of a little lazy but my goal is this year is i talked him into taking those five days off and i told him i'm like start hiking around your neighborhood start spending time being miserable because if we see a good deer i'm we're fucking getting you that deer i don't care how hard it takes like i'm like we're gonna run a mountain and so he's we'll see how he does i'll probably have to give him the talk like I had to give Megan her first time, you know, I like uh-huh. turn around. I can't do this. No, you can do this. You got to pull your fucking bootstraps up. We're getting to the top of this mountain. He's right on the other side of this. We got to get there before the sun comes up all the way or he's going to work his way into the trees and we ain't going to find him. 
and you know had to give her the talk and she had to suck it up and then she got up there and just sucked so bad and then once she seen the deer it's all over like none of that pain feels none of all the adrenaline's there she didn't even know i mean she had to pee and was like unzipping her pants i'm like oh there's the buck she's like oh oh shit and goes right over there and is right into it you know and and she shot her deer and i mean perfect shot heart shot fell down right where it was standing never moved i mean the best way an animal can go and um and so you know i want to get gilbert that and brian was the same thing perfect shot 138 yards deer never moved a step died right where it was at perfect both ways the way you want them to happen you know my stuff never that way every time i i my both my deers both bow hunts every single time 70 80 100 yards and into the worst of the worst trees to get him the hell out of and so this last one i mean he went 70 yards and piled up but it was like down a cliff oh shit <laughs> So it was brutal. So is there a reason you uh, like the bow hunt more than rifle hunt? Is it the challenge? Uh, it's the challenge, and I feel it's more, uh, I don't know how to say it. There's guys out there, Cameron Haynes says it better than I do, and everybody else, I think. I mean, he's been doing it a lot longer than I have. Uh, Wayne Endicott was another guy I talked to when I was up in Oregon, and both of them said it the way it is. It's like how our forefathers, like Indians and Native Americans used to hunt, you know, buffalo in the plain with a hickory bow and stuff like that. And I feel you get in a whole different, like, era. You know what I mean? A rifle, you know, some guys take shots, you know, 500 yards, and it's like the deer didn't even know it was there. He didn't know it was happening. He was just feeding, doing his thing. Next thing he knows, he's hit by a bullet. Where bow hunting... It puts you on that whole other level. You're you're not only having to be quiet, make sure you're playing the wind, and you got to be where the deer is. So you're not on the other hillside just hiking, glassing, you, you know, and just kind of being lazy. You know, I mean, some hunters really try hard and get after it and do a lot of glassing, but rifle hunting, I mean, you can take a 700-yard shot. Where bow hunting, you know, you can't take more than a... I wouldn't take more than like a 70-yard shot. And, I mean, I took two shots on my deer this year at 60 and missed him both times because he was uphill slightly and hit underneath him both times and uh, was able to move around and crawl like 40 yards around this bush and down and up to this bug brush and I snuck up and he was at 45 yards and I stood full draw for like two minutes waiting for him to move because he right when I drew back and I stepped out where he was at he moved like two steps forward in a sagebrush covered his whole body Oh. So I just stood there and watched him. And I couldn't move because now they're like paying, they pinned me, you know, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. and I'm just against this bush. And so I'm sitting there just as still as I could be with a bow in my hands, full draw. And he finally, after like, I mean, it felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably like maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. And he stepped out into a clearing I could see he was walking towards. And I just waited for him right there. And as soon as he stepped down, I put my pin where I wanted it. And I shot 50, and he was at 45, and I hit him just like an inch higher than where I was aiming. So it was still uphill from me. So my arrow, I didn't correct for elevation change type, or not elevation, but uh, or angle compensation. That's Mm -hmm. what it's called. This is the word I was looking for. When you said he pinned you, does that mean he picked up on your... He's seen me. So do do deer... um... I know nothing about like deer, elk, anything like this. Do they, when they see you, are they kind of like 
how we thought the dinosaurs were like you have to be moving or can they see no they they pick you up i don't know how they can pick up movement from a long ways away gotcha but like good camouflage i feel like makes a huge difference the wind is the biggest thing i feel like their sense of smell is so strong same with elk if they see something or you know they're like what and sometimes they're kind of curious sometimes like caribou in alaska a lot of guys shoot them with a bow and they come closer to them to get shot a second time because they're like, they've never seen man before. And they're like, what the hell is really? this? And it hurts them. But then they're like, they kind of move into them. And you can actually watch a lot of hunts online about it like that way. Um, my buddy Dalton, who lives in Fairbanks, my, my, my one of my best friend's brothers, he's in the Air Force up there. And he shot his caribou on the Hall Road. And it, he shot it at 60 yards, and the second shot was at 40 yards because it came into him 20 yards. And wow. Because it wasn't, like, sure what the hell was going on, and he was wondering what it was. And uh, so sometimes it happens. The deer, when I was on the deer this time, it was hard because they were a little spooky. It was opening morning, which was nice because they've never had people chase them yet. And we got in on them, and I, I had to stalk, like, 400 yards into him and i was you know i used a tree line brian was going in after another buck that was there as well and he went to the right and he kind of like uh, his line wasn't it was a good line at the time but they moved into position for my line hmm. is what it was and i had tree cover and bush cover the whole way i mean i only i had to crawl a couple times with my bow and my rangefinder in my hand and uh, it's just a challenge of getting there, you know, because half the battle is, is a you got to play the wind, you got to physically be fit enough to be where the deer are at, unlike being sitting on the side of the road or oh I see him from the road and he's you know six hundred yards okay get out range him, of elevate adjustment done you know and then the hike there is the hard part, where for bow hunting well you are that hike you have to be there you can't a lot of people get like weary when you see rifle hunters and bow hunters where they get mad at you like well you're walking through a good area well we're bow hunting yeah you can't be you know that if they're there that's where you want to be you can't be 400 yards away from them like you're now, with a rifle yeah now you can stalk in on them if you see them but you got to be where they're at you know and and so i try to tell people that and and like when i shot this buck this year it uh it, like I said, it went 70 yards and piled up in some nasty stuff. And I didn't even see him. He had no blood. Double-lunged him. No blood, nothing. Didn't spit anything up. Took off like a bat out of hell. The other deer looked at him like, what the hell's going on? And, and it's funny because Brian named him. He's like, well, what the hell's wrong with Jerry? You know? <laughs> and he took off over there. And I'd seen where he went into the trees. And then I didn't want to ruin it for Brian because there was still, you know, five other bucks right there. So I, I walked around the trees and got down on the road. It was a closed road. It's a fire, old fire road. And hiked on that and kind of down the hill from them so they couldn't see me and walked over to where the trees was, set my bow down where they, you know, where I last seen him and then went back and got all our gear. And uh, <clears throat> it was funny because, like, my, my phone scope was still recording when I took off because I was like, oh, there's a four point I want. Gone. And it recorded for like an hour and a half on the phone and oh, really? up there. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we get, you wouldn't think about it cause we were seeing one deer and it was focused on that and that deer left and these other deer that came in into the, you know, into play with us, they came in and Brian, like I said, Brian was stalking in on them as well, trying to go around on the right side of them. And they, he bumped them and kind of pushed them into me. 
And then I was able to creep in enough to get close enough. And he still went after him after I shot mine and he bumped him a couple more times. But it's funny because you see the group of deer my deer was with in the same frame on the spotting scope. And then you see Brian come walking through the frame as well, <laughs> like 50 minutes into it. And it's just the bow hunting things just changed it since I killed my first deer. I've never killed any. Like the only thing I've ever killed with the rifle was an antelope. Oh, really? Yeah, everything else has been with a bow. With the bow? Yeah. When did so when did you start getting the love for hunting and everything in the outdoors? Um, so I don't know, I was eighteen, maybe a little bit younger. My dad my mom and dad really liked fishing and going out and doing that stuff. We'd go I mean, we went fishing every single Sunday, like my whole childhood. We my we had a boat. We, back when gasoline and diesel was a dollar sixty a gallon, not five freaking dollars. Yeah, no joke. And it didn't cost you an arm and a leg to go to the lake. Um, we used to go every weekend, and we'd truck up there and fish. And I'd always like spot deer and elk on the hillside, and be like, "Oh man, check that out!" And my dad wasn't a super big hunter. He was in his younger days, and he kind of got out of it because of some bad experiences and stuff that way, which has happened to me. And I've seen that happen and I've seen stuff happen. I've seen people be asses just like everyone has, you know, Mm -hmm. none of us are perfect. We all have cracks in our ass. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so he, so I, I started my buddy Donovan and Justin are always big hunters and they'd always just go out with each other. And one year, this was back when you could buy a tag over the counter that like, like three days before the hunt started. And now you try to do it, it's sold out in like three hours. Really? Yeah, they sell out super fast. And now they're starting to do like unlimited hunts on certain ones. So like Spike Elk this year on the multi-seasons, like unlimited. So they could sell millions of them if they felt like it at 150 bucks a piece. Oh, really? And so in my eyes, that's stupid because A, that's going to destroy the younger population of elk instead of letting them get old enough to be a good elk, Mm -hmm. you know. But, uh, but back then, I've always hunted any bull over the counter tags. I've never been able to draw anything worth a shit. Yeah, gotcha. I got 16 elk points and 16 bighorn sheep points. Still nothing. Um, one day, maybe. We'll see. Uh, I drew Colorado this year for my first time ever actually drawing a tag, but it was an out-of-state tag. And that's the one in November I got to go on. And I'm, I'm out there all by myself in Thanksgiving. Oh, I'll wow. Be, yeah, I'll be camping out of the back of my truck. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's kind of... Uh... Like, does that create some anxiety going out there into the wilderness alone? Oh, yeah. I mean, because we were kind of briefly talking when we started uh, started this about, like, physically preparing yourself for the hunt. Um, <clears throat> myself, for instance, I've been sober and really getting focused on health for, like, two, a little over two years now. Yeah. So we did the King's Peak uh, trek not too long ago, and I'm... I'm a hiking fool. I've always loved hiking, but I've never done backpacking. Mm-hmm. I did backpacking for the first time. Holy cow. That beats your ass. Mm-hmm. That 30 pounds of gear. And you carry way more gear than that, right? So the last time, this last hunt we went on, I packed 10 days worth of food. Because <laughs> yeah. I had 10 days planned. And that was the deal. I wasn't shooting anything. It was smaller than a four-point period. I already had my meat buck from last year for my dedicated and I said, I told everybody, I said, I'm, I'm spending 10 days. And Brian was up there till that Monday and he had to leave. And opening morning, lo and behold, here's a four point, you know. And 
and he's not bad. He's not the biggest buck, but he's a over the counter. It's not. It should. It's like an over the counter unit. Mm-hmm. Utah's all. Uh, it's a general hunt, so you had to put in for it, and then once you draw it, you get it type of thing. But the unit I hunt is like a really easy unit to draw, like every other year. If you don't draw it this every year, you're drawing it every other year. It's really easy to get, so it's not real hard. But there's not super big trophies. Well, in some cases, because sometimes you see super monsters, and you're like, "What the hell?" But yeah. it's always you're hunting elk, and you see a monster buck, or you see. A monster elk and you're hunting deer, deer and it's like what the hell and that's happened two times in a row i mean my buddy had like a 190 inch buck that some dude shot over the top of us at and is that when you say 190 inch is that yeah. from antler to antler that, well that's how big his antlers would have okay started. that's what i was guessing <clears throat> we i mean he was a big four by five he was all of 25 inches wide and he was tall i mean deep forks really pretty buck cool little kicker on the one side and, uh, I mean, the guy who shot it over us, it was the biggest buck he's ever shot. And we were at like 170 yards. This guy was at 500 yards. Oh, so you guys and were bow hunting? No, no, we were oh, rifle hunting. Rifle hunting them. as well? But my buddy, we had him at 278 <clears throat> yards. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I don't feel comfortable, you know. And I'm like, dude, like you should just take it. We're right here. We're right on the little edge of this hill. And we can see him right over the top of the trees. We can see him feeding right there. And he's like, can we get a little closer? I'm like, well, the only closest we get, we had to go through those trees. So we snuck through those trees and popped out on the other side and started going up the hillside. And we had him at like 178 yards. And I'm like, he was setting up to shoot him. And then we hear, boom. You know, when it smacks the deer, you can hear the bullet. And and we turn around and like, what the? You know, and throw our hands up. And this guy's looking through his scope, doesn't even see us on the hillside. And I'm like, and he he turns, oh, shit, I'm so sorry if I'd have known. And I'm like. Oh, well, a little late for that. Yeah, got to be situational yeah. awareness has to be huge out there. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, well, and that's what they teach you, too, is, you know, always be aware of your target and what's around it. Because, <clears throat> and what he was doing, and it's not, I mean, shit happens, and mm-hmm. no one should be upset about it. And, I mean, the guy who should be upset is Tyson. You know, he should be mad as hell. Because that was and his. that was his buck. buck. He had it, you know. He was dead to right at 178 yards. I mean, that's a chip shot. Yeah. And he, he did that, and... The guy was like, well, you know, he come up and he's like, I'd never would have shot over you guys if I'd have seen you. Well, he was hyper-focused in his scope. He wasn't, he didn't look. And I think what it was is we were in the trees while he was scoping it, right? He was already looking at it through his rifle scope. And instead of looking at the broad picture, he was already zoomed in looking at the deer. Hmm. So, you know, his field of view went from, you know, however big to the picture of the deer and that's where he was doing. And so he never even knew we were there. So when you guys are out there on the, out in the wilderness, cause I am a zero knowledge on hunting. Like yeah. I, I love the outdoors, things of that nature, oh, yeah. but hiking and exploring, but hunting, I'm like yeah. below a newbie with oh, this no, stuff. That's all right. So can you talked about camouflage, but don't you have to wear orange when you're out there as on well? Rifle hunt. On rifle hunt, yeah, you do? On rifle hunt. And, and they do that for people see you, right? You're walking traffic cone. Um, in like Wyoming, you only have to wear a hat, but like on the bow hunt, when you're hunting deer, like when I was hunting deer, the thing about it was when he was looking at me at 45 yards, I don't think he could 100% tell what I was. Cause I didn't have an outline, right? I was mm-hmm. standing next to a bush. And so all it looked like was the bush moved, right? He couldn't tell depict me from the bush. Neither of them could, they all stood there and just looked at me. And then they were like, Oh, okay. And then if you stood there long enough, let's say I wasn't full draw and I was just waiting. 
I just stood there long enough. Eventually, they went back to doing what they were doing, which was feeding on buckbrush. Gotcha. And they just did their own thing. But, he, I mean, he, like I said, he started walking over to the other bucks. And the one buck, it was, it was him and another one, and there was three other ones on the other side of the buckbrush. And so they kind of went over there to that, that side. That's when I caught him walking. And then when I hit him, it was funny because he took off right and they went left. Like all his buddies were like, fuck you. <laughs> we're going this way. You're going that way. Yeah, you no know? kidding. And uh, so that that's kind of the thing with the bow hunt. The rifle hunting is do, that's the one. Real quick, do those intermix or overlap bow hunt and rifle, rifle. hunt or um, they? So not really. The bow hunt's always first, right? Gotcha. Because bow hunting's so much harder. And like these days, our bows are so much better than what they were, you know, way back in the day and i'm i'm still a newbie bow hunter like compared to some of the guys i've shot with and talked to and been able to hang out with and see and stuff i mean i i talked with wayne endicott and that guy you know they didn't have sights on their bows back in the day it was just a miracle they hit them wow you know and they had like old aluminum arrows that are you know and stuff that they didn't like we have nowadays i mean we have carbon fiber aluminum wrapped arrows and like just kick-ass bows you know isn't that crazy i was um i was talking to the people that i was on this uh backpacking trip with and i was like man i am a pansy because i'm complaining about the weight that's on me and i have like a super nice osprey bag that's weighted well and everything and all this lightweight gear and then i'm thinking man the people in the 17 and 1800s that were out there in the woods wood sticks yeah and like cow hide or, it, or deer hide backpacks or whatever and and their weapons like bows rifles things like that oh yeah. didn't even compare yeah. to what we have nowadays we are so much softer these days because of luxury people that's the thing people don't realize about hunters you know i get it was funny because i was like people were asking me at work you know like oh show us your buck i heard you got a buck you know you're back early and i was showing them all you know and doing it and then one person overheard us and was like oh you killed an animal and i'm like well yeah she's like well i can't stand that and i'm like okay well do you eat hamburger well yeah and i'm like well you just paid a you know a superstore hitman to kill your animal that's what you just did you realize that hamburger didn't come off a tree it came from a cow and then if you eat chicken that came from a chicken if you eat eggs it came from a chicken so like the only difference is, is i know where my deer meat came from I know where it was at. I know what happened to it once it got hit with an arrow. I knew how it got cleaned and it got quartered up and packed out of that mountain three miles on my back. So I know what it has done, you know. And we were talking about, like, gears and bags and hiking, you know. And the hike-in for us wasn't too bad, it, at least for me, because I've been, tr- I've been mm-hmm. putting it down. I mean, I ruck. I was rucking every single Saturday. And so I, I do a thing that uh, Cameron Haynes started call the lift run shoot and I'd have Brian do it with me and everything and we'd get out and do our things and, and so we first thing we do is we do a four mile hike with 75 pounds and you know and your knees hate that oh yeah and so I could only do it like once or twice a week tops and I could run I feel okay running but the the rucking was what was hard on my knee so like when we went in this last week on or the start you know the 19th we we went in a day early and backpacked in and stayed in you know, and it rained like hell the whole way in. And so we, you know, throw our gear on, throw our bivvies over our bags and throw a raincoat on and you're going to get wet underneath the raincoat because you sweat. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about having good gear that dries quick, keeps you warm. And so we 
you know, we get in as soon as we get there to set up our tents, it like one eighties weather. It's nice. It's cool. It's just a little breezy. We set up our tents, got set up, got hiked in. But I think my pack was like, and it's way heavier than it should be because this is like my really my first time backpack hunting. I've mm-hmm. never done that. I've always just done what I've always done was just get up early, drive in, find a good spot we want to park and where we want to hike, and then I'd really glass and kind of fill up my you know fill out the territory and understand where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And then if we seen something early morning, it was close enough we could make a play on. We'd go make a play on it, or we'd just glass and kind of watch where they'd go bed, you know, and try to go make a play or make in a different area. Cause then they, most of the time they come out at night or right before nightfall, you know? So, uh, we call it the golden hour. As soon as the sun sets, you get like an hour of, you know, just dusk light. That's funny that yeah. you say that because that's a term in photography is the golden hour. And that's where everyone does their photos. Cause yeah. you got that perfect light. Yeah. And it's just perfect for them to come back out. And they, and, and that's when the whole forest comes alive and everyone's like, well, I went out and I was out there and I got there at nine o'clock and I didn't see anything all day. And it's like, well, you, you literally went there when they went to go to bed and stayed in bed until it got cooler. And then they come out at night to feed or go drink, you know, and it's like, you're not, I mean, you, you can see an animal at 11 o'clock in the afternoon. I killed my first buck with my bow at like 1130. It was just perfect timing. We were cutting through the trees and boom, there's a group of does with a buck. And I'm like, Oh, you know, and it was funny because Brian did the same thing because we were both stalking the same deer and he goes right. And I went left and I was the only one who got a shooting lane. It was like the size of probably I don't know, like a 24 by 24 poster. And it was through trees. Oh, and wow. I couldn't see his head. I knew it was a buck because I could see his antlers, but that his vitals were just this little poster. And I was like 25 yards. So I just threaded the envelope and or threaded the needle and stuck him with a arrow and it passed clean through hit both shoulder blades on him. And then he went, he went a little further than 70, 80. He, he went probably like 200 yards. And then, I found him a second time. We jumped him the one time, and I told Brian, I said, dude, you just got to hang back. Like, it's just too noisy with both of us. Mm-hmm. And so I, we waited for a minute, and it was pouring rain, so there was no following blood. I was following his footprints, and he kind of jacked his leg up when he went over some deadfall, and he was hurting so bad he kind of tangled himself up and broke his rear leg. And so you could see where he was, like, stepping and dragging. And I'm like, okay, you just need to stay back for a minute. Just hang out behind me. You know, stay a couple hundred yards back. And I saw him downhill, really steep downhill at 41 yards, and he was just hanging out there. And he was probably already dead, but being me, I'm like, I'm going to put another arrow in him because yeah. I don't want to chase him anymore. I want him to die ethically. That's the goal. And so I, you know, shot another arrow into him, and he didn't really move. And so we went down there, and, of course, he, he had passed already, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. I mean, yeah. arrows are expensive, but I'm hunting. And yeah, I, no kidding. I, if I can do the honor, the animal right or, and honor him, I wouldn't care what it cost, you know. So what do you say to those people who, because um, how many how many animals have you hunted and brought back? Uh, so I've only killed, so I guided for a high fence ranch for a year before I met Megan. Mm-hmm. I, I met her and then it was kind of like a year there, three months. And we did like, I guided on 12 hunts, but it was two hunters each. So like 24-ish elk mm-hmm. on those. And and that's a whole different animal than hunting public land. Um, 
but we harvested them and packed them out. But I've never really killed a lot of animals for myself. My first animal I ever killed was my antelope. When was that? Uh, 2015 or 14. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then so I didn't. That one was with the rifle? Yeah, it was with my rifle. And then how many have you got with your bow? Two. Two? Yeah. So you got three animals under your belt. Yeah. And. Um, but you're an avid outdoorsman and everything. Oh yeah. So do you get approached a lot like by people who are very anti hunting and anti, um, they do know? like that gal I was talking about. She, she kind of like, Oh, I can't believe it. You know? And I said that about, you know, her you know, eating hamburgers and I said, and she's like, I can't believe you'd kill an innocent animal. And I said, you don't understand how mother nature works. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, she's like, we should just let them die naturally. And I was like, do you understand what natural is? Do you even comprehend what natural is? Because there's only five ways a deer or an animal in the wild can die. And that's either starvation, right? Mm -hmm. Or dehydration, being froze to death, being sick or eaten by predators. And none of those happen fast. Like an ethical hunter, you know, I mean, for my animal, 70 yards and dead, less than a minute, he was dead. No more pain. Gone. Done. Or a pack of wolves chase a deer and rip its guts out until it bleeds to death and then they eat it. Or sometimes they eat it while it's still alive. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of going to go into is I've seen, because I always hear people like, oh, that's so, you know, evil. Like, I don't see how hunters can go out there and do this. And I'm like, me not being a hunter or anything. Yeah. I just, the layman person, I'm like, have you ever seen any videos on YouTube of when they get caught by predators? Oh, yeah. It's like, brutal. I would have rather me, if I was a deer, yeah. be shot any day than Take a out. pack of wolves or a bear. Cougar. Oh. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, is, is now there's the hunters that run around drinking beer, giving us a bad name, you know, shooting Uncle Ted's gun that's not sighted in and wounding shit and leaving it that way. And I've... I've always had the thing where, like, my first deer, that first buck that took off about 200 yards, and we had to track him for a little bit, and we, and we bumped him. When he was gone the first time and it was pouring rain, I pulled my tag out right there and t punched it. And I told Brian, I said, well, I wounded him, and he's going to die. My tag's filled. Yeah. If I don't recover him, <clears throat> I'm still going to have my tag because I still punched it. Like, I'm not going to hunt no more. My hunt's over. And same thing with this buck. I mean, I set my bow where I seen him go into the trees. I could see his footprints, but I didn't see any blood, which blows me away. And went back, got our gear, packed everything up. Brian stalked those bucks a couple more times. I walked down, met him where my bow was at. And uh, I started in the trees and I started a big, uh, I do a zigzag pattern because you can kind of see, you know, 10 to 15 yards through the trees in front of you and you can look at the ground and tell what you're looking at especially in, if it's real heavy deadfall maybe grit it a little bit better but i do list a big zigzag and i've always found everything we were looking for and and i had brian go up and walk this buck brush because i didn't know if he was going to go lay up in there or whatnot and i ended up walking the zigzag I only walked it twice ran right into him and um but it's like you know that's ethical and you see an animal, I mean, starved to death. Look at the kill rate this year. I mean, you drove, um, you know, we live in the great state of Utah, not really not so <laughs> great anymore. But we, you know, you drive, you know, one canyon this winter, you count over 100 dead deer on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. 
and, and they were either die, dying from starvation or getting hit by a car, which in my eyes, that's not a good way to go. You know, I couldn't imagine. And then not only is it good, not good for the deer, it's not good for the occupant of the car. You know, imagine, you know, your family with you or something that happens. Oh, yeah. And conservation is designed to control herd population and size, you know, an area. And now there's a lot of trophy behind it too. But I mean, I don't, I mean, I shot a big buck because that's what I wanted. That's what I went after. I wasn't going to shoot anything else. I had eight a tag. And that's how dedicated to having four points or bigger, period. That's all I was after. Mm-hmm. And, but I was after the meat too. I mean, I packed, we packed, me and Brian both packed, you know, 80 pound packs out, you know, three and a half miles to our truck, drove it 40 miles to the processor to turn around and drive my velvet, uh, you know, Euro mount down to the taxidermist, which was 230 miles away the same day. So we, we got up at four in the morning and we didn't even get back to where we were going to, you know, before, not even the mountains, just the base of the mountains by 930 because we wanted to take care of everything right there. I didn't want to lose the velvet. I wanted to make sure it was, you know, and, and it, it's a trophy. It is, but I honor that trophy every year, every day when I look at it and I see it and I hang it up in my my wall. That, that's the thing they don't understand. I don't waste the meat. I take every bit of the meat I can. The only thing left behind is bone. And, and skin because I don't take the fur. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I honor that animal every day. You know, I walk up to him and when I first seen him, you know, he's away from me and I could see him. And Brian was just up the hill from us. And I told Brian, he's right behind you. You know, he turned around and couldn't see him because of this log laying there. All he could see was his antlers, but he couldn't make him out from tree branches. And he comes walk, oh, there he is. You know, and I walk up and the first thing I do is I walk up and tell him, thank you. You know, thank you. You're going to feed my family and my friends, you know, for a good portion of this year. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people would like, like a lot of people out there listening that aren't too keen on hunting would be like, oh, bullshit, you know. But I'm here to tell you, every, like, solid outdoorsman I know or woman um, that's really into it, they are so respectful of the animals, the land use, and they're highly educated and knowledgeable about everything out there. Yeah. Whereas I don't think some of these people really understand the um, practice of like what you were saying, like populations mm-hmm. and, and control. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's about controlling it. Cause if they get too big, if the herds get too big, you get disease, you get, you know, starvation and you get a ton of winter kill. And, and I can tell you this, I've walked through the mountains and hiked through deer country and found like a mommy deer and a bunch of baby deer laying around her and just skeletons and they're dead, you know, yeah. and how would that be? You know, that's not a way to go. And I'd rather see them li- live and I definitely don't want to see them get like diseases or, um, you know, sickness or anything. I mean, our big horn sheep had that happen on Antelope Island. Yeah. You know, the whole herd died because they got sick. Yeah. They just and barely reintroduced that. Them. Yeah. yeah. And from California, bighorn sheep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to see that. I'd like to one day in my life, that's why I keep putting in for it, is I'd like to the option to be able to hunt a bighorn sheep once in my life. I'd love to do a Grand Slam, which is all four dolly species, North American dolly species. But you're either rich to do it or you're just really damn lucky or you live to be 200 years old because (laughs) it's just impossible. The two... The two easiest ones to do right now are the doll sheep and the stone sheep 
but the ones in Alaska and the ones in Canada, but you got to pay for those ones. Gotcha. I don't make $50,000 in a year. Is that what a tag is? Damn near. I mean, with I mean, your you preparation could, and all that, you could probably get the whole hunt done, travel there, get an animal back and everything for probably 30. Wow. I mean, if you found a budget deal, some of the Alaskan ones claim to be 25, but that that's what they're ta- saying. The outfitters paying, right? So mm-hmm. if you pay an outfitter to go and you have to, because you're out of country, you know, you're out of state in Alaska. If you're not an Alaskan resident, you have to have a guide. Same with Canada. So not only, okay, you pay the outfitter $25,000, now you're going to have to pay a tip to the guide, and whatever that will be is depending on how good your experience is, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, that's how it was for us. And then also getting the game back to you, you know, getting the meat back, getting the trophy back, and getting everything else back to you isn't cheap either. You know, I mean, hell, shipping 150 pounds of meat you know i mean 50 pounds of meat was like 150 bucks on the airline damn so i mean that's why i flew first class when i went to oregon because i was like i was reading it and i'm doing the things i'm like well you know oh comforts you know 100 or 600 and whatever 38 dollars i'm like oh that's not bad but one check bag that's it or no just carry on no check bags and i start reading the first class thing and i'm like I get first class, I get this, and it's $730, 100 bucks more. Oh, but I get two free check bags. Right there alone, what my buddies, when I was there at the airport in Eugene, they checked their bows and they checked their extra bag that was given to them while we were there. Yeah. And that costed more than what my first class ticket cost. <laughs> oh, you know, God. like for they could have did that with their comfort class ticket and still had money, saved money in their pocket. And then they would have boarded first and then also got like the good glass cups. And I don't know. It's the first time I've ever done it. So. Well, that's awesome though. Yeah. yeah. I don't think people really understand. I think they just look at like kind of what like the eighties movies, comical movies and stuff made of hunters or when yeah. you see like hunting in like the Simpsons or something. It's like that one. Oh the, yeah. Driving yeah. Around rednecks beer, out there drinking shooting, beer, shooting animals. Yeah. But it's, there's a lot of that that happened, you know, and there's a lot of guys who still do that. I mean, we picked up 30 beer cans on oh, the way out don't from you hate my that? deer. And you know what's sad is that same WMA I was in, I picked up last year on the 19th of August as well because I killed my buck the opening day of last year. And I did the same thing the whole way out. I stopped every single – I mean, me and Brian got out. Brian mostly on the first year because I packed my entire deer out myself the oh, first gotcha. year because I wanted to. And then this year we were both doing it. And it was, if it was on his side of the road, he'd stop, grab it, throw it in the back of the truck. And we picked up like 30 beer cans. And I did that all year. And it's not the people like me who travel 200 or 30, you know, 300, 400 miles to go to that unit. Mm-hmm. It's the goddamn locals. It's the, you know, oh, we'll go up on a Wednesday night and just sit in there and grab a 12 pack and we'll drive in, you know, Jimmy's truck and then you sit there and drink <laughs> beer the whole time. And it's like, those are the assholes they're making a bad it. name. Yeah, they they're not hunters. They're they're just people, you know. And that that's what bugs me because they don't put in the effort. They don't try. And and I mean they can get lucky and they can shoot good deer and good elk, you know. I mean it happens. But it's it's you know once like every 10 years ish mm-hmm. roughly. And they I don't see it happening as much. I mean my goal now is I've you know I've killed two deer with a bow and this year we got 10 days for elk. I had an elk dead to right last year. I had him at 35 yards laying down. Behind, he was just quartered behind a tree a little bit. And I didn't draw on him because it was 98 freaking degrees and we were six miles back. 
And I'm like, it was two of us. By the time I packed out the first quarter Mm -hmm. and left it at the truck, and by the time I got back, A, it probably wouldn't be any good anymore because it was 100 degrees. And then by the time I got back to the truck, the stuff I just took out probably wouldn't be good anymore. So I was like, I just told Brian, I said, it's not worth shooting him. Like, I'm like, he's right there. And he was a nice bull. Well, and that goes to show that you're not just doing it for the trophy either. You're doing it for everything that the animal has to offer. No, I'd rather leave the antlers and just the meat only. But... That's the idea of it is, is you get something to remember it by, mm-hmm. right? You, you get something from it. And that's like the one thing about elk that's really, you know, monumental is because, A, you get this, it's a ginormous animal. You know, they are huge. I mean, half my deer weighs what one quarter of an elk weighs. I don't think people and realize how the size of elk. They don't, and they don't understand how hard it is to get them out. And, and do that, you know, and how dedicated you are. Oh, I can, I, mean, I can appreciate what you're saying. Cause you're saying you're packing all this meat out. So you're taking all your gear and the animal. Yeah. I was complaining about carrying 30 pounds yeah. just because, and it's not like you're just walking down a road mm. eight miles. It's rocky. It's up down yeah. all over the place. Yeah. yeah it's a trail. I mean, sometimes there's no trail, you know, sometimes there is a trail um, there's a fire road in the area we hunt and it's closed to anything but horses and walking traffic only. And we walked on that as much as we could until we literally got to the point where we had to go down 500 feet <laughs> and then go up 800 feet to get to where our trucks were. Or we could have followed the fire road up to the main, the main road that you can drive on. But then that'd have been two miles up all the way, you know, 800 feet up to the road. And then we would have had to hike another probably two and a half miles back and around down the unit just to get to our truck. So it was like down it is and up it is because I'm not going to do that five (laughs) extra miles. Hell no. And And, well, you got some really cool technology that you're using on your hunts as well. Like we were kind of talking about that with like the advancement in weapons, gear, lightweight gear, clothing to keep your warm or vice versa. Now they got, God, you showed me that app. What is that? Uh, Onyx, yeah, super cool, detailed yeah. terrain. And Go Hunt has a super nice map too, and I I like Go Hunt's 3D better than Onyx. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sixes on both. I have both, and I like I like the Go Hunt guys, you know, second to none guys. I've met them personally, talked to them. I've met them multiple years now at the Hunt Expo, at the Lift Run Shoot in Oregon. They did Mountain Ops did, and everything. I met them and talked to them for a whole bunch of time and. Um, I like Brady and Trail a lot there, and uh, and I like both of their maps. They both have their goods and their bads, but that's kind of how it is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Onyx was the first to the game. Like they're they're like the king leader right now, right? Because they were the first to the game. They were the first to offer private land, fencing and area and all this other stuff. And so as long as you could read a base map, right? We could all a topo map. If you knew how to read a topo map, it's the same as it is on here. It's just digital. Yeah. Instead of carrying five different maps with me, now I have a phone that has all 50 states on it, and I can 3D it too. So I can not only give myself an idea of how steep of what I'm trying to go up is, because if I don't understand the topographical lines, I can look at it and be like, well, that looks way steeper than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, there's so many times, like back in the day when I first started, back when I was 18, I mean, we went to places and we'd just look at a map and be like, okay, this is a nice basin. We want to go here. 
And then we start looking about to get there, and it's like, well, I don't have rock climbing stuff. Yeah, I can't I know. go rock climbing. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, oh, well, we got to figure it out a different way. And so then we would drive around and get up on another trail and just try to get as far as we could back in there. And, and that's where the backpacking thing for me has come in. Is I've just seen so many guys that I like idolize and watch and listen and what they do, you know, and and they backpack hunt. They they load up, you know, thirty to fifty pounds a year. And they move, they stay lightweight, and they stay on the animal because that's the idea is to pretty much be the ultimate predator, right? We're stalking yeah. them. And so they just move. And that's what we were doing. And, like, this year for deer, was it was this was the best year, period. Like, I've never – I mean, we hunted deer last year. I mean, we hunted everything last year, but uh, elk and deer here. And, you know, we had fun. We had a great time. It was fun to go out and enjoy. And I just like sitting in glass and, you know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing with, like, photography. It's just yeah. gorgeous to get out there and watch nature in itself. And, I mean, I have really good glass. I mean, I have Zorowski spot scopes and binoculars. And, I mean, I see everything in the dark, and everyone's like, how in the hell are you even seeing anything? And I'm like, well, here you go. Look. Like, yeah. God, I hate looking through your shit because I don't have it. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, I don't. People, um, I don't think they realize how expensive optics and things is, like that uh, can get. And, and it pays to have the good stuff, you know. And Zeiss and Zoros and Leica and all that good stuff. It, and it pays to have it because you see them before everybody else, you know. And, I mean, I'm picking deer out of, on the side of a mountain or elk out on the side of a mountain 15 minutes before the three other guys I hunt with normally are even seeing them. Yeah. And they're like, what are you looking at? Are you sure that's an elk? And I'm like, yeah, it's bobbing its head up and down right now. I'm watching it. And then I'm, I point it out to them and then I hand them my binoculars and they're like, oh, God, don't, don't hand this shit to me. It makes me want to buy it. And so it's like, Brian's, you know, he's the funniest one of all of them. He's one of my best friends. And we, it's, it's every time I go out, he's like, I talked him into buying a pair of Zeiss's from me. I mean, they are absolutely the brightest. Binoculars? Bin- uh-huh. The brightest binoculars. They put my Zorowski's to shame. They're 3% better in light gathering, which doesn't seem like a lot. But when we were out comparing them in the dark, in the morning, I mean, it was a five to 10 minute difference of me seeing with the, the Zeiss, the Zeiss HTs over the LEL. Yeah. I, um, I just barely last Christmas cause I do a lot of, um, birding photography. So you always want binoculars on mm-hmm. you and I've just used the cheapy, you know, what are they like? They're the brands like a T like Tamron or some weird, some that way off brand. And, uh, my ex Lacey actually bought me some Zeiss oh. and I, was like, holy shit, these what make a, a night, night and day difference. difference in the clarity. Like you said, the light gathering, everything. I I'm just like, I'll never go, go back. back. No, it's worth the money. It's <clears throat> Now, do you need that stuff to kill it? I mean, no. I mean, Cameron Haynes, he carried around a $20 pair of binoculars. He was telling us in his story. He was telling us, you know, he walked around with a $20 pair of binoculars on, and he was killing elk every single year. Now, you don't have to have that to do that. But is it nice to have it? it? 100%. It's just, it's easier on you. I mean, when you have good binoculars, edge-to-edge clarity, eye relief is great. It doesn't fatigue your eyes to look through them for hours on end, you know. And and, and nowadays, we have phone scopes and you know, people, you know, telescopic camera lenses mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I use my phone scope and, you know, I'm looking at a deer, you know, 1,400 yards away or a mile away. And I can tell you size and see how big he is and how many points he is. And, and or same with an elk, you know, and I'm like, okay, he's worth chasing. Let's go after him. You know, I don't, I mean, not that I wouldn't 
happily take a spike elk this year. I'd happily take whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just, if you're there, you're going to try, you know? And I don't have a goal for an elk because I've personally never killed an elk for myself. I've helped numerous people and been there and spotted them and hiked in with them and be like, all right, here you go. You know, I mean, we, when I guided the one dudes at, you know, at the high fence ranch, we had two Amish guys that were bow hunters. Oh, really? And we took, yeah, and we took one of them out and he shot like super high and did a shitty shot on him. And then it took us like four days to find this elk. And finally we found him and we were able to get him back in on him and he was sore, you know, and I don't like that. And, but, but I mean, that guy punched his tag right there because he drew blood, period. It mm -hmm. was over for him until he found that animal with the arrow in him. And we we hunted and hunted and hunted, and we found him up on a false little shoulder they kind of hang out on. And sure enough, he was just hanging out, bedded down. He was tired and sore, didn't want to move. So we were able to creep in on him and get it done. But it's like that that's something that means a lot to me. So, like, I mean, I cleaned, I mean, one year I think I cleaned like 30 elk. Really? And so, like, when I, when I cleaned my deer with Brian... And I cleaned Brian's deer for him because it was like dark and we're doing it by headlight. And you mean, when you say clean, is that quartering Pro them out? Processing and them. Processing everything. Them. Yeah, getting them all. We call it, I call it processing just because it sounds a little bit more clean yeah. than gutting it, you know. Um, but clean it up, get it quartered out, skinned out, in bags. And we were sitting out there with Brian's and his was kind of in the desert. And there's coyotes like 60, you know, 50, 100 yards away from us barking and cowing. And they're biting each other and yapping and nipping at one another and they can smell what's right here. And there's three of us standing there with headlights and I'm trying to let him do it his first time because I want him to learn. And I'm kind of teaching him and, to, you know, showing him, okay, let's do this, you know, cut here. And then finally he's like, dude, I'm like, we're going to be here until like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Like, just get the <laughs> hell out of the way. And yeah. He's, and it's funny because I took Richard, our, you know, my boss mm -hmm. in the shop and his son out one, one year when I first started at the district and they got a spike elk. And it was like, you know, 400 yards. They shot it. We hiked, me and Rich, or me and Jason got to the elk. And I had it quartered out, one side half quartered out in bags on the side of the hill before Richard even got up to where we were at. So Richard never even got to see the elk full oh, because wow. I already had it cut up. And Jason just turns to him and he's like, don't piss him off with a pocket knife in his hand because he'll cut you up. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh because it's like, it's not what I do it for, you know. See that—that's the one thing I would probably have a hard time with. I've always hunting has always really intrigued me. Yeah. I almost want to just go with someone. I should come with you or sometime just to kind of like come shadow on. and watch. Yeah, come but take pictures. The uh, the processing part—I don't know if I could do yeah. that. No, it's 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 a lot, you know. I mean, if you've you ever cleaned a fish mm -hmm. in your day, I mean, it's the same thing—a little bit smaller, um, a lot bigger, a lot more blood. Um, but you, you know, you, you try to do your best to stay clean and now they have the gut lift method and I've never really done that. And it's something I've been wanting to try. Um, I've always just, if you're trophy cleaning an elk, you start at, stop at the rib cage you just reach up, you feel for the esophagus, feels like a dryer tube and then pull everything out. And you just and leave then, that for the predators? Yeah, predators. Yeah. And bears will eat it. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I've been when we were, when we were guiding, you know, we'd clean an elk somewhere and we'd know where it was at and we didn't want to go by it. We wanted to stay away from it, right? And we'd be like, okay, we, we, it was down here. And then the next day you'd drive down the road and there'd be just this trail of like muck oh. and guck and the bear drug it, you know, 500 yards up the hill. 
and you know they're there and it's funny because like brian this time when we backpacked in he's he's never seen a black bear other than last year and we almost ran into it with our side by side he was right on the road we come crawling around the corner and he i damn near had him and brian's like what the hell is that and I was like, that's a black bear dude and he's yeah. like holy shit they're really out here and i was like oh all the time dude they're here just as well as we are and when we went in this last this uh two weekends ago or the you know the 19th when we hiked in on the trail we were on the it wasn't really a trail once we came off the fire road it was just going up a hill and i kind of had an idea in my head and i've seen it and it's kind of like a game trail almost and we hiked up it and we got over the crest of the ridge and then stayed on the back side and on our way up there was no bear scat i seen it on the road a ways back but nothing on the way up where we were at and that night when we got done by nine o'clock i mean we weren't going to hike back in in you know in the dark or at least i didn't want to i was pretty tired yeah so we just stayed at our buddy's grandma's house that was right there so we're like she's like oh there's a mother-in-law apartment we know the combination to get in so we just whip in at 10 o'clock crash out on a bed get up fold all our blankets at you know four in the morning hop in the truck haul ass up there in the dark and then we started hiking in in the dark and we got back to our tents and everything and on the second time in on our way in you know that was like three and a half miles and by the second time in i mean we're 500 yards from our tent and there's a huge bear scat and and i'm like brian i'm like you see that and he's like what and i'm like look how fresh that is and i'm poking it with my trekking pole yeah and he's like holy shit and he's like our tents are just right over this hill and i'm like yeah like he walked within 500 yards of where we were camping and that's when you guys were bow hunting and that was just this last time so you carry your 44 oh, with yeah. you right 100 yeah. percent, all the time i i always carry a sidearm um, everyone can save chicken shit or whatever for it. And it's just a fact of, you know, I have a daughter and a family and I want to go home to them. Ultimately, I'd rather go home with nothing and see them, but I'm not going to quit to not get something. Yeah. And, and if I, if I have to protect myself from a bear, even if it was with a pocket knife, he may kill me, but I'm sure as hell I'm going to get as many licks in as I can. Hey, I don't blame you for carrying a sidearm. I I went and got a sidearm myself because I only had a nine millimeter, and I was like, "This isn't enough out there." And I'm not only worried about um, <clears throat> bears, but I've had a cougar yep. encounter once, and oh, yeah. everyone can say, "Oh, uh, you'll the likelihood of you ever running into something or whatever." I don't care. Well, it happens. It happens. And when you aren't armed, you feel really stupid and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, yeah. when I ran into that cougar, this was when I used to work at Kennecott because they're all over up there. Yeah. It probably 80 yards from me and crouched down, staring me down. And I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. You're not on top of the food chain. No. No. You're not. We, we, we may have technology and... We may have opposable thumbs so we can build things, <laughs> yeah. but we are not the top of the food chain when it comes to fighting something like that. No, you're not. And, and I'm a firm believer of carrying a sidearm. It's always something I've done. You, you always get the people like we talked, you know, the 44 mag or the 10 mil or mm-hmm. whatever. I'll tell you what, you'd be in grizzly country, you'd be wishing you had a Smith & Wesson 500, like the biggest pistol period. Yeah. Because that's a huge animal. They're massive. Yeah. I've seen one grizzly bear in real life, and that wasn't even a wild one. That was yeah. one of the domesticated fur. I was working on a movie set as an EMT, and yeah. they had <clears throat> famous bear, Bart the Bear. Yeah. 
and they brought him out of his enclosure. And when he stood on two legs, yeah. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, 10 this foot tall. Massive. Yeah. Would people rip us all apart. Yeah, not even. And people don't realize that either. They've never watched a bear fight. You know, they've never, they think, oh, they're so cute. And it's like, no, dude, they eat their young. They are cannibalistic. They are absolutely predators. Yes. And they are. That's the reason why a sow is bigger than most boars, because she fights off the boars from eating her young. That's why she's so touchy about her cubs. You know, you never want to get between a sow and a boar have or you a sow and her cubs. Have you seen that recent um, bear attack? Or not bear attack, but bear fight that they caught up in. I think it was Alaska yeah, or Montana, probably. Or Montana. It was this. It was like a twelve-minute. Oh, I believe it. Bear fight, and they are just ripping each other apart. And I love how you get these people. They're usually like ego-driven macho dudes. Mm-hmm. I would just see red, and I could take a bear out just with my hands. I'm like, you're nuts. Nah, <laughs> No, there, there was a kid that was on a show. Uh, it was in Montana. He, him and his dad were elk hunting. And he got he got attacked by a grizzly bear. And I remember watching it like, I can't believe I survived or something like mm-hmm. that. And he this bear charged him. He had a, rifle, a loaded rifle in his hand. Never even had a chance to shoot it. You know, that's how fast it happened. Yeah, they, it, they can charge it like 30 miles an hour, right? Yeah. Something they, like that. They, they haul ass. I'll tell you a story about that after this. Yeah. Um, how fast this was a black bear. It wasn't even a grizzly, but how fast he was. But, uh, we, uh, this kid got attacked, right. And it tore into him and he was like 19 or 20 years old. And it picked him up by his thigh and was ripping him around by his leg. Okay. Swinging a full grown man around by his leg from his mouth, ripped his thigh muscle off his femur. So his bones just showing almost ripped open his familiar artery would have killed him if it would have happened, tore into him, ripped him up and down, beat the piss out of him and then stood over the top of him like huffing. And people don't realize the sounds bears make like they think they just growl and they were, they make all sorts of sounds and we can even play a video of it and you can hear yeah. how, how crazy they are. And it stood over the top of him and he's laying there on his back looking at this bear and he, the only thing he could think at this time, and he's bleeding profusely, and he's like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to punch it in the nose. And he punched the bear in the nose and it attacked him a second time. And, he, and they asked him, well, why would, why'd you do that? Why didn't you just lay there? He goes, well, fuck, this thing just tore me into <laughs> shit. Like, I'm going to get a lick in or not, you know? I'm going to die. I'm going to at least get something out of it. Yeah. And then finally he was able to, like, he when he the bear threw him the second time, he landed on top of his rifle, which, out of act of God, at this point in time, you know, I'm, yeah. thank God, he turns around and I guess he smokes the bear, and and but he now he's in the mountains, he's by himself. It's starting to rain and everything, and he he like patched himself up the best he could and was hiking out using his gun as like a crutch, and yelling for help. And the only thing that ha- helped him was there was two other hunters out there, and. That he's yelling and the wind sw- switched direction. I don't know if you notice this in the mountains. You'll oh. be sitting there and in two seconds it'll be blowing in your face. Yep. And the next thing you know, it's blowing at the back of your head and it's blowing into your right ear. And so the wind and he's yelling for help, walking and he's exhausted and uh, yelling. And, and the wind switched directions just at the right time and it picked his voice up and carried it all the way around the edge of this mountain. And lo and behold, these two other elk hunters were right there and they heard help, you know. They, they hike over there. Lo and behold, the one dude's a fucking doctor. 
Oh, and lucky. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does this happen? So they bring him back to his tent, and you know now he's got an infection going because of the te- the mouth of the bear ain't clean. I mean, they no. eat rotten meat, shit like that. They chase prey off other you know other kills because they're bigger. So he's got all this happening, and then the doctor's trying to do best he can. He pumps him up on some antibiotics and everything. They get life flight. They get a hold of you know life flight, and they make a cellular. This time they use satellite phones. They use a satellite phone, get a hold of him. They finally find the kid's dad, you know, and it's like. And the, the kid lived, you know, to wow. see it. I mean, his face is all jacked up and everything. And and you don't understand the power of that animal. People think Yellowstone, they're not Yogi and Boo Boo. Okay, mm-hmm. Yogi and Boo Boo's cute. Okay, and bears are, are cute from 1,200 yards away. They're, they're super cute from way the hell over there. Mm-hmm. Or if I have, a you know, a 300 Ultra Mag between me and <laughs> yeah, then no I'm joke. fine with that. Or even bigger, I mean, hell, yeah. 700 Nitro Express or something. And, but it's the fact of, I don't want to be by them. And so we're going to go back to the story of how fast they move. We were elk hunting. I guided this dude from New York and he shot this elk going up this, this ridge. And there was like, and you couldn't see it on the mountain, you know, it just looked flat. And then you see like there was an edge of a mountain. Well, lo and behold, there's a draw behind that ridge. Right. And he was walking up and this elk fell right into the only patch of trees on this entire hillside. And when that elk went into those trees, because he hit him and he kind of tumbled down into him, there's a black bear in those trees. We never even knew he was there. He took off like a bat out of hell. I mean, if he could have ran any, run any faster, he'd have looked like Ghost Rider. He had to have flame coming off. His oh feet. my God! He hauled ass across this mountain. I mean, out of sight, a thousand plus yards in a matter of seconds, and and he did it effortlessly. So yeah, I. I blame Disney for this. I call it like the Disney Disney syndrome. It's because everyone thinks animals are all so cutesy and all this stuff because we got Disney and we got them talking and bears and all this. And sometimes you get these nature shows that show them in this beautiful light. But when it comes down to it, wild animals are that they're wild, they're unpredictable and nature is ugly. It is hundred percent. I mean, Nature is beautiful and ugly in the same sentence. Like it is, yep. She she has a very good side, and it's very beautiful to see it. And then you see the real side of it, and you're like, holy shit, it's really not that good. It's really not that nice. And, I mean, I mean, it's the same way with, like, sharks. People, you know, a bear is the shark of, of the world. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It is. Like, you would, you ask that same person, well, you go swim and, you know, you know, you know, Fresno Bay. Yeah. You know, there's a hundred different species of sharks in it. You're not going to swim in it, are you? No. Yeah, no All right. Kidding. Well, why do you go hike in the mountains? And then bear spray. You know, some states require it for hunting with you know grizzly country. In my opinion, it's a waste of time. Oh, I watched this video of the. It was they were testing out some bear spray, and I think it can work in the optimum conditions. But yeah. when you're in the wild, it's not optimum. And this guy's telling the story. It was of a, a bear attack, a grizzly attack on him and his buddy that were out hunting up in the Yellowstone area. Yeah. And they deployed the bear spray first. Well, guess what's up there? Wind blew it right, right back, back on the them. Yeah. So it blinded the one guy that had the handgun that was ready. Yeah. And by, like a, like you said, an act of God, somehow they killed this bear with like, I think they were carrying... A forty-four or something in the story, and it took like three shots. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's not going to stop them right off the bat. I mean, 
we talk about this, right? Uh, the the forty four mag I carry's got three hundred grain bullets in it. Okay, that that's three three hundred grain bullets at you know whatever fifteen hundred feet per second. That's a lot of energy. And Alaskan guides carry like three seven five H and H's, and you know I mean shit. Some of them carry even bigger. You can get like dangerous game like a Weatherby four sixty or a Nitro Express like we talked about. That's dangerous game, like African safari game stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why they shoot a 700-grain bullet at 2,000 feet per second, and they want 10,000 foot-pounds of kinetic energies because they want to stop that right there. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a guy, a, a lion, charging a hunter, and the hunter shoots it twice, and it lands on top of him. I've seen that video. There's the proof, point, point proven of how it is, you know. Yeah, you— and. You need that protection. There was that story that just came out um, up in, I don't know if it was like the upper part of Alaska or whatever, but a, a polar bear went into the town, ate a mother and her son, just annihilated them. Yeah. No one around had a gun. They had to go get the one guy that had a gun, and he finally killed the polar bear. But yeah. I do not go on the trails unarmed now. No, it's anywhere. It's just, it's just for self-protection, right? And everyone can talk about it. Well, you know, you don't need guns or you need a bird gun. You know, you need a shotgun only. And it's like, nah, dude, guns weren't invented for us to protect ourselves from animals. It was protect us from everything, period. And that's what it was said as, you know, not from just animals and nature, from our government and everybody. And everyone should have one, in my opinion. Now, does that mean ex-felons and all these bad people who are going to do things I mean have it no I mean good honest uh, you know uh, law-abiding citizens that are going to treat them with respect and teach their family about them the number one thing about it is not knowing what it does you know there's so many people who oh well guns kill well it's kind of what they're made for a hammer drives nails mm -hmm. it's just that simple you know I get into this all the time in this the effort of you know working on buses and they're always like, well, why does it do that? Well, because that's what it was made to do. And you just did this and screwed it up, you know? It's the same thing. A, a gun could be a better paperweight than a paperweight if no one uses it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I, I had that argument with my sister a few years ago, and she was like, why do you carry a sidearm? Why do you do that? I said, why does it matter? She's like, well, they kill. And I was like, you need to understand. And I pulled my pistol out, and I set it on the table, and I just yelled at it, kill. It did absolutely nothing. Just sat there, you know, and she just like you're you're just an ass. Well, I'm just proving a point. It's not the tool; it's the person, and I use it for good. You know, I use it to protect myself and my family. You know, everywhere we go, we have it with us. I've had a cougar stalk me. I've had that happen. We were coming out of Diamond Fort Canyon a while, a couple. I mean, I was like 17, and the canyon was closed for construction. So the only way to get to the hot springs was to hike down to it. And we just wanted to go fish the river anyways because no one's been fishing it. So it's like, well, fuck, it's going to be good. Let's yeah. go. And it's like a five-mile hike downhill. Well, what do you have to do on the way back up? Five miles back up. So mm -hmm. our dumb asses are like, oh, yeah, let's go. You know, we're drinking <laughs> beer and hanging out. And we get down there and we fish. And then we're like, oh, it's getting dark. We probably should start heading back. And, and it's funny because we had two dogs with us. And it was, you know, there was four of us there. And the, I mean, the one husky was all over the mountain on the way down. I mean, he was in the trees over here, over here, running down, doing his thing. And when we got like, probably like, probably a thousand yards from the car or a little more, you know, we couldn't see the car yet, but we were close. The dogs wouldn't leave our sides. I mean, he was like hugging his owner. 
That's how close he was to him. The other dog wouldn't even walk. We had to carry it. We had to pick it up and put it in the backpack. And at this point in time, we're like, man, this is kind of sketchy. Like, you know, you kind of get that eerie feeling where your hair stands up on the back of your neck. Oh, yeah. And so we get up to the car and we get in the car and I shit you not, we turn the lights on and turn and a male cougar walks right across the road. Boom. And so the whole time he was watching us. Oh, yeah. Stalking you. Yeah, He was watching us. We were prey. And they they have been known to take like little kids, oh, yeah. five, oh, six, yeah. seven years old. I They'll mean, grab them and run off. You'll never see that kid again. No, and they can take full grown men too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they hit you right. You know, one hit on us and we're done. It, everyone has a vital. Everyone yeah. has vitals. And I mean, we have a heart. We have veins. We have major arteries. I mean, the first thing they're going to do is go for a neck shot. That that's where they go right, right into the arteries and. That's the reason why I like with like my pack, I always carry something above my head. Like I always try to make them try to differentiate the difference between my neck and my head and my body and my backpack. Because a lot of that time, especially wearing camouflage and stuff, they have a hard time being able to depict where that's at. Where that vital is. And that's happened before. They've had hunters who've been pounced on from cougars. And of course, his backpack's all bulky, like a big hiking backpack. And it landed right on the back of the backpack and was biting his backpack and his claws dug his forehead. Ooh. So this this is just, you know, yeah. sacrificial. This ain't going to kill you. Now it's going to hurt like hell, but you're not going to die from it. Mm-hmm. You're going to bleed a lot and it's going to look bad, but you're not going to die. Yeah. It's not black blood. It's just a little red blood. You know? Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, they, and then you get into that moment where, you know, either do you fight flight or freeze you know and those you know the three f's come out and it's like well your heart rate's going to go up what are you going to do are you going to stand back and just watch or are you going to fight or are you going to you know run and then if you run you're going to state chase yep right so that's going to instantly want to come right back at you so in my eyes i've always been the one you know people ask me well i I hike in the front of the pack i'm all my buddies last year on every hike we went on I was in front of the pack and everyone's like, aren't you afraid walking through the trees? And I was like, no, <laughs> I said, I'm, I mean, am I nervous? Yes. But am I afraid? No, because I know what I want to do and I know what I'm going to do in my head and I want to fight. And if it's going to start that, I'm going to finish it. And so I just tell myself that every time. And so you always get in those situations like high stress situations where your heart rate goes, you know, above 180 and you black out and you know, like the lizard brain. We mm-hmm. all went through the same meeting the SWAT team talked about and did their thing. And what what are you going to do, you know? And in my eyes when I'm in that situation, I've been in it a couple times in my life. I'm always the fighter. I'm always like run towards the problem. And my, my wife hates it. They all hate it. Everyone hates it and they're like, "Why? Why would you do that?" And I'm like, "Cuz that's what I want to do." Like, I'm willing to sacrifice to make sure it happens. Like, people are protected. I mean, it, it's the same concept of, like, being at the district and, you know, every door has to be locked. Well, we don't want someone to walk in and do something stupid. And it's like, I mean, I kind of pray they walk into the shop. Be my guest because you're probably not walking out of that shop, which is fine with me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to come there to intent harm on people, especially on a place where they're unarmed, that's a cowardly move anyways. You don't deserve to walk out of there. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, that's an important thing to kind of always think about is like the, like you said, you're a fight, freeze or flight. Yeah. 
And if you get yourself into that mindset and you think about things like that and you you practice yeah, I, muscle I, God, memory, muscle memory. I know yeah. so many gun owners that have guns that they've maybe shot twice. And I'm like, no, you got to be proficient in that yeah. tool. You got to go out and practice. You got to no, go practice with that. It's thing. why I practice with my bow. I mean, I, I was going to shoot my bow today and I ended up running out of time. And it's my excuse. hundred percent. I should have made time. Right. And I just ran out of time between everything that went down the district working out picking my meat up, getting back. I had to go get my daughter and then I had to go work, you know, my night shift job, mm -hmm. pretty much my own business. Yeah. And so I had no other choice at that time, but I could still go home when I get done with this and go shoot 10 arrows downstairs, yeah. you know, but I still do it proficiently and you practice every time you get because it makes you proficient. And then your muscle memory happens because when you go into lizard brain and I mean, when I was, when I stalked my deer, you know, everything, I, I, you can't feel pain. You can't feel tiredness. I mean, my heart rate was, I think, somewhere around 173, 175 for like over a minute and 50 seconds or something when I was stalking in on it at one point. And I never felt tired. I crawled on the ground on cactuses and everything, and it hurt, but it wasn't like, oh, God, I had to stop, you know, and yeah. think about it. My, my train of thought was 100%, this is happening. And your adrenaline was going over. It completely overran everything. And, you know, I mean, I was tired. Hell, I crouched down and walked like 200 yards when I first got down onto the flat with them. And, I mean, I'm squatted down with a bow and, you know, rangefinder in one hand and a bow and an arrow in the other. And, you know, that's tired on your legs and your calves feel it. You feel the burn. But it's like it wasn't even there. Now, after, and all that adrenaline wears off, then you're like, oh, man, my legs are a little tired. Yeah, it's it's funny what adrenaline will do for you. I remember when I was in the fire academy, they always put you in these terrible situations and stuff. And even though, you know, it's simulated, it still gets your adrenaline going. And one of our instructors always told us that adrenaline's either going to be your, fan, your friend or it's going to screw you. Yeah. It's how you use that because it can send you into a panic and you can do stupid shit. Yeah. Or if you practice and you're ready for this yeah. type of scenario, it can help you. Help you. Yeah. And it does. It makes it makes humans superhuman. You know what I mean? People lifting cars off of people with yeah, insane stuff. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. They, when I was out there and I was on that deer, it's the same way both times. I, I mean, hell, that I stayed back full draw. Like I said, it felt like 10 minutes. And I, fit, I stood full, full draw for easily over a minute and a half. And that's pretty hard to do already. And it's not the draw arm that gets tired. It's the bow holding arm. It's holding the weight out away from you, right? It gets your shoulder tired and you start burning up in here. And I held it until I physically almost couldn't hold it anymore. And then he started walking, you know. And then you got him. And then I got him. And it, uh, and it was just super pumped. I mean, hell, I ran back and got our bags. I didn't walk. I ran. I ran up a mountain. I went and I went jogged back up there because I had so much adrenaline. I didn't want to stop. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a whole different thing. I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle, right? I, I train all year. I've been doing this since, you know, last December and I've been training the gym. Yeah. Yeah. In the gym. Cause this is your first backpacking trip you've yeah. done. Yeah. And I physically have seen you change yeah. in that year. You've lost weight. Yeah. You've got bulkier. Yeah. yeah. On muscle. And I mean, I, when I went out and did the lift run shoot with Cameron Haynes and 
the other, I think it was like 50 guys total, but there was like 25 that was in my group and like another 25. And dude, we did a workout that made people puke. And I've never in my life worked out that hard and that intense. And those guys do it every single day, all day long. And then they run, you know, 200 mile races and just do shit like no one else can do. And they are like superhuman, you know? And, and it's just what it is, is just building yourself up to that, you know? And everyone's like, I get that all the time. And, and, and I, I kind of listen to a lot of Cameron Haynes. I have his book and I've read it. And then I've listened to it a bunch of times just cause it's just cool to listen to when you're just bored mm-hmm. and like sitting up in the mountains, I had nothing but audible and it was downloaded. So I'm like, I'm just going to listen to his book. There you I go. Nothing to do. I have no service. And so I was just listening to his book at night and he talks about, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, he talks about the, what were we talking about before? Lifestyle. Oh, preparing lifestyle. for yeah, your. Preparing for it, yeah. right? It's not about just going out and running 200 miles right off the bat. It's just get out and walk five minutes, run one minute, walk five minutes, run one minute, you know? And then the next day, go out and walk four minutes and run two minutes. And just transition slowly, but it's just getting out and doing it. That's the big thing, right? It's the people, well, I don't have time or I don't have this. It's just an excuse. It's bullshit. It is. And he said it perfect up there when we were in Oregon and we sat down and had like a little round table discussion with him. And he straight out said it the best way. He says, yeah, I always hear people always tell me, well, I can't do this or going out in the back country. It's too hard because I think my wife's cheating on me or whatever, you know, and it's a huge mental game. And he just said, I don't give a fuck how rough the water is. Just put the fucking boat in the water. Mm-hmm. That's all I want you to do. I don't give a fuck about how rough it is. Just put it in the water. Yeah. And I love that saying. So like when I was running the 10K, I mean, I my ass was kicked the day before. I mean, we did an absolute kick-ass workout. I mean, my legs were absolute fucking jello. And the next day I woke up, I was feeling good. They were a little sore. And then we ran a 10K up Mount Pisgah and then down Mount Pisgah. And I just kept telling myself, like, and, you know, you're in that situation. It's mentally, right? You're telling yourself, well, I don't need to do this. Why the fuck do I need to do this? There's a nice hotel room with a nice cool shower and da-da-da-da and a hot tub and a nice, you know, nice drink and it, and warm food. And it's like, and the whole time I just kept telling myself, like, who cares the fuck how rough the water is? Let's just get the boat in the water. And I just kept telling myself that mentally. That's such a good saying because I've had a lot of people, like, recently they've noticed, like, that I've changed a lot they're like you've lost a lot of weight you're looking better you're looking healthier how do you do it i'm like i looked at myself in the mirror one day after abusing my body through my whole 20s getting drunk all the time party lifestyle all this and i I said i promised myself that i was going to change and the most important person that you need to you know, that's going to do that for you is your own self. No one's going to do it for you. And people that say they don't have time. I'm like, look, I work 10 and a half hours a day, every damn day. I come home. I, I live alone currently. So I take care of my dogs, my chickens out bag, my cat. And I still find time to go do the gym, to do the gym or whatever. And to do my hobbies and things like this. And People are so, they're like, they want to go the way water runs, you know, the easiest way. They want to, they want to go with the flow. Mm -hmm. That's not how you gain anything. That's not how you against the flow. Hell no. It's not how you gain respect for yourself. That's not how you change yourself. You, like you said, man, put the water or put the boat in the water and just 
go for it. Yeah. I don't give a fuck how rough the water is. Yeah. Yeah. Just go for it. And it, uh, that was something that changed me, you know, cause it's a mental game. Like we talked about it earlier about being out in the woods by yourself. You know, how do you feel about that? And it's dude, it's an emotional fucking train wreck. It's hard. Yeah. It's, you know, to sit there by yourself. I went bow hunting, uh, last year, two days by myself. And I mean, fuck you're out hiking in the woods at dusk by yourself. And then you start thinking like, well, fuck, is something watching me? Am I out here by myself? Like, there's no one here to help me. Yeah. If what happened if something attacked me, you know, well, you're either going to die or you're going to fucking win. And then you're going to have to man the fuck up. Like I tell, I tell everyone that talk, pull your bootstraps up Mm -hmm. and get the fuck on up, you know, get yourself up. I mean, Mark Lissotrell said it the same way when he, you know, in the lone survivor, you ever listen to his speech by himself and the way he talks. And that's the type of people that are dedicated to do this type of stuff, that are driven. They're disciplined and driven. Discipline is what keeps you going. And, and it's the discipline of telling yourself, well, I got to get up, you know. He he told himself when he got blown to hell, shot I how many times, swallowed his fucking tongue. He was bleeding out and dying. He was yeah. in bad shape. And he told himself, stop being a bitch, you know. And he drew a line in the sand with a rock and drug himself past that line. He said, if I'm still alive when I get past this line, I'm going to draw another line. And he did that for seven miles. So if that's if he's able to do that, we're able to do anything. The human body is impressive. And, and Joe Rogan says it right all the time. Don't let your inner bitch win. Yeah. You know, and I'm always giving everyone shit because I work, I work. I work a grueling schedule. I mean, I get up. To hit the gym at the district, I had to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then my shift starts at 5.30. And I work from 5.30 till 2. Mm-hmm. And then I go pick my daughter up, drop her off at my mom's house, and I go work for myself till 8 o'clock. And sometimes I get off early and I get home, let's say, 6 o'clock, and then I throw on my tennis shoes and I go for a four-mile run. And it's everyone's like, well, I don't have the time. No, you choose not to. Choose to piece off. Yeah. I, I don't stay at home and watch TV. Everyone's always like, oh, have you seen this new episode? I don't even watch fucking TV. Yeah. I mean, I have I have super nice. I mean, hell, the TV in my bedroom's been on four times since we've owned it in a year. <laughs> and it's like a $3,000 TV. <laughs> Same here, and it's man. like, and you know, and my kid and my wife watch it more than I do because I don't really give a shit to watch it. You know? Yeah. I, I like watching things that inspiration, you know, are inspirational to me. And there's a, a Nike commercial. <laughs> That's out. It's actually, it's super good. I'll have to let you listen to it. It's called a rise and grind and it's, it's just beyond super good. You know, I mean, I don't know. Can we listen to it right now? Uh, It's only a couple minutes long. Yeah. I mean, why not? This one always gets me. This is like my motivational thing in the morning. It's 6am and your hand can't make it to the alarm clock before the voices in your head start telling you that it's too early, too dark and too cold to get out of bed. Aching muscles lie still in rebellion. Pretending not to hear your brain commanding them to move. A legion of voices are shouting their unanimous permission for you to hit the snooze button and go back to dreamland. But you didn't ask their opinion. The voice you've chosen to listen to is one of defiance. A voice that says there was a reason you set that alarm in the first place. So sit up, put your feet on the floor, and don't look back because we've got work to do. Welcome to the grind. For what is each day but a series of conflicts between the right way and the easy way. 10,000 streams fan out like a river delta before you, each one promising the path of least resistance. Thing is, you're headed upstream. And when you make that choice, 
if you decide to turn your back on what's comfortable and safe and what some would call common sense, well, that's day one. From there, it only gets tougher. So just make sure this is something you want, because the easy way out will always be there, ready to wash you away. All you have to do is pick up your feet. But you aren't going to, are you? With each step comes the decision to take another. You're on your the video is an actual part of the the, the saying. You can mm -hmm. listen to it on like Spotify as well. Yeah, I just like the video that goes with it. Because, you know, special forces guys are just badasses by themselves. They're just a whole other breed. Oh, yeah. So. How far from invincible. Your self-doubts are not easily defeated, but they're not far from invincible. Shit gets me every time. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, it's amazing to see what people put as priorities and what people want and then what they do to get that yeah. and what they will fill their free time with. And I see so many people, like you said, TV, you know, laziness and, and yeah. stuff like that. And I'm like... I don't have anything against that. But if you want to be this accomplished person, yeah. you're going to have to rise and shine and yeah. do that. Yeah, you're going to have to have days where you have three days of sleep. I mean, shit, there's guys, I mean, ultra marathonists that run, you know, 250 miles and they run all night. Like, can you imagine? I mean, fuck, go run for 30 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was a thing that was said that if uh, I think the study was if, if you do something for 18 minutes a day, you're better than 85% of the people out there. That's awesome. You know what I mean? And it just makes me think, oh, shit, you know. And I went out and ran with guys. They kicked my ass, you know. And I was one of the slowest people up that mountain. But it was funny because I watched a lot of people quit before they got to the top. And I still made it all the way through. Yeah. You didn't and stop. I didn't quit. Yeah. I wasn't a DNF or did not finish, you know. Mm -hmm. And... It, uh, it's changed it big time. And I, I mean, I worked out with the, the guy was in my group of three. Um, her, Rihanna is one of, uh, Cameron Haynes's gals or something like that with uh, mountain ops or like a publicist or something. I don't 
100% know what she does. Mm-hmm. But she was there, and her husband was there, and he was uh, he's like an ex-Special Forces guy. And this guy fucking worked out with us. And, I mean, dude, he – I fucking had to ask him at the end. I was like, how in the fuck did you go 45 minutes through that? That was grueling intense. And he's like, I love the fucking pain. I love it. I love the burn. And then not only did he do that, he competed to win free shit at the end, even though he wasn't even there to do it. He was well, just there to do it. Yeah. He just wanted to have fun. And it was like, dude, he just, and I talked to him for a little bit afterwards, and that's what he said. He's like, I just love it. Like, I love to feel that way. I love to feel the burn. And then he ran with us the next day, you know. And, and it was funny because Cameron Haynes, he, he didn't do the workout with us. You know, he was there with us coaching everybody and doing all that. And because there was a lot of people. But uh, we went through it. But he did a lift, run, shoot with another, you know, like a, a celebrity type of person, you know, mm-hmm. or an ultra marathonist or whatever you want to call them. And he did that and did everything with us and still ran a 10K the next day. And he ran that mountain the night before. And it's like, and he got up and did it again. Yeah. And it's it's just seeing the people that have the drive. And, and, I mean, there's days I hurt. You know, there's days my knees hurt and my body aches. And, I mean, hell, when I got done with that workout and that 10K, I couldn't walk for two days, you know. But it's funny because now the pain makes you stronger, right? I... I felt like crap for two days. That third day, I felt good. The fourth day, I did another workout. I did, you know, 75 squats and power leg thrusts and went and lifted. And, yes, it was sore. But then the next, the fifth day, I felt even better. And then now, you know, I hiked three miles. And I kicked my buddy's ass up and down a mountain four times. You know, let's see. One, two, three. So it was one, two. And we went in, went out went in so one two three four five times six times total and he was like my fucking legs are done and i'm like i wasn't even feeling it in my legs and like my shoulders were sore from my pack and then my hips where the pack rubs on you a little bit but i was my thighs i could have kept going my thighs weren't even bad my knee was a little sore because i've always had a bad knee but well it's it's amazing what you can do with the right attitude. Yeah. When people say I can't do that, I just I lose them. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. You might not be able to do it right this second, but if this is something you want to do, you you can, do you can put in the work and you can do it. 100%. And and it's it's just learning, you know. I get trial and error. It's do do something you haven't learned and then continue to try. Continue to fail. But it's you tried. That's the whole idea, right? The thing with me, I have a hard time in life is quitting. I'm not a quitter. I've never quit anything. I've been fired a bunch of times. I've never <laughs> fucking quit anything. And, um, I mean, I've never, like I said, I've never quit. I, unless something has happened where they were like, sorry, you can't do it. You know, and I'm like, what the fuck? Why? Like, why, why are you kicking me out? Why are you cutting me short? You know? And then it pisses me off and I even get more mad at it. And it's more motivation for me to get out and burn and try harder. And it's like, <clears throat> I mean, same thing happened when I went to college to get my degree and what I'm in, you know, for diesel systems technology mm-hmm. and to be a mechanic, you know. And then I got cut short by like two semesters by the company I went, I was working for because they were paying for it and they got bought out and they were like, well, fuck you. You don't want any apprentices. Oh, God. So go kick rocks. And so that made even me more that more mad to finish. So I sold my car. I drove a piece of shit truck. I did everything I could to finish, you know. And then now it's funny because now the guy who let me go is like 
knows that holy shit, Travis is going to be, you know, he's a lead tech already at the district, and he's got you know two hundred and sixty five buses, and you know I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but you know it's kind of you can kind of tell, but you yeah. don't know because nothing's set in stone, right? Because the the you know you can only live in the present. The future's a gift, and then you know tomorrow's gone. You can't dwell in tomorrow you know, or yesterday. Yeah, I've I've heard that. Um, I've heard this saying a couple times now, and it's like if you live in the past, you're depressed. If you live in the future, you're anxious. So live in the now and just do. Yeah. Well, and that's why your they best. call it the present, right? Yeah. Because every day is a present. You don't ever know if it's guaranteed, and and that's the one thing I I looked at it as too. And that's like, you know, if and like Cameron Haynes put it out really well. And I like I said, I follow him pretty well, and he. Uh, he said it when we were there. He says, you know, that that's exactly what it is. The the future's not guaranteed. He says, if my goal was if and he has this thing called the county cue, which is like touching a bear before it dies when he shoots it. And then like being able to, you know, and Indians did this back in the day, counting cue. And it was, you know, touch an enemy or, you know, kill an enemy and leave without being wounded or whatever. And he has it in his head and he says it to himself all the time, is this is the way I'm dying. Then I went out the way I wanted to go. Like I didn't, I didn't just sit behind the couch and watch it happen, you know. And so that's where like he gets, you know, he, everyone's scared. But at the same time, you know, if, if that's the way I'm going, that's the way I'm going. Yeah. You know, and just, I'm definitely not going to go out with a fight. And most likely, you know, it, you know, a bear, cougar, whatever. Even if I'm dying. I mean, we you still have last minute, right? Well, I'm I think, gonna get licks. Period. <laughs> I think there's two sets of people yeah. that you're either a victim of your circumstances, yeah. or you're gonna rise above that shit, no matter what in life. You be, uh, I think, it, uh, like Chris Kyle's dad put it right. There's you know two different types of people. There's sheep, and then there's sheep dogs, and then there's the third type out there, and they're wolves, right? They're the people who take advantage of everybody. And I don't want to be another sheep, period. I want to be a sheepdog. I'm a protector, you know. And I've had people ask me this. Like Megan has asked me many times when, you know, you're just laying there having a late night discussion, whatever. Can't go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Bullshitting. You know, and she's like, well, what would happen if, like, you know, we were hiking or, like, a zombie apocalypse? This one's the one that always gets me, like, fucking zombies, right? <laughs> and she's like what would happen if it was just us, you know, and like we had no other choice and like, you know, someone had to sacrifice. And I was like, well, then there's no other option. What do you mean? I said, you guys are fucking leaving and I'm staying, period. Well, what would you do? And I said, I don't know. I said, I'll either fucking blow them all up or die trying. And um, uh, there's just so many people out there that are, you know, mindset of that, where they're not afraid to give it all they got. I think that's what separates us as Americans more than anybody is a lot of guys are that way, you know. I mean, our armed forces guys, they fucking, uh, you know, they fight to literally the last person until they run out of ammo and all they can do is stab you. And then they get taken prisoner. And that's the only time. Or they fight till they die. You know, they physically won't stop fighting until they're knocked out cold. And there's not any other country in the world that does what we do because of that. And that's our mindset. We're free, right? In, in my opinion, that freedom's worth it. I would sacrifice myself for it, for my family to be free. A hundred percent, a hundred times over. And that's where like certain people, like you said, differentiate from each other. 
you know, we've had this conversation. I'm like, well, what would you do, you know, if, if like Red Dawn happened and people were dropping out of the sky? You know, are you going to run away and hide, you know, or are you going to stand up and fight? Because that's what needs to happen, you know. That's why no country in the world has the balls to invade us, period. Because, and they can say China and everyone else and the numbers and all this bullshit. They ain't going to make it past the coast. They can fucking try. The only way they take us out is chemically or something. Or like way. nuclear warheads yeah. or something like but that. But then there's the, the last initiative at that point in time, mm-hmm. right? If And that's what the government has given. The U.S. government's given it to everybody with nuclear power, the last initiative. If you fucking one bomb on us, we will kill everybody, period. Yeah. That is the goal. And that's the that's the last initiative. So if you choose to fuck around, find out. You know, there's that level. <laughs> <laughs> the... And so I, I think it's funny, you know, and I'm that type of guy who tries to work hard every day and I can't go to the gym every morning and myself, like I get wore down mm-hmm. and it, it sucks, you know, and there's the motivation of, I'm like, what in the fuck am I doing? I mean, the other day, hell, I was, I was in my diesel. I backed into my parking spot. I always drink my pre-workout on before I come to work. Cause mm-hmm. that gives me about that 15 to 20 minutes time for, you know, the neck to start tingling and you start feeling good. And I drank like, and I, you know, a full shot of it and everything, 60 ounces water. And I fucking fell asleep with my truck running in the parking <laughs> lot. And I wake up to Keith knocking on the window and I'm like, what? And he's like, dude, you're sleeping here. Your truck's been running for like 35 minutes. Like get the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, dude. Sorry. And it was funny cause I drank pre-workout and I yeah. just went, I was so tired. I but just that, went straight through it. I think that shows how hard you are working that I mean, everyone needs rest and yeah. I get that. And everyone needs a quote unquote day off. But yeah. I always um, say, you know, I, my whole goal is just to always be better than yesterday and yeah. to keep progressing. And like, I try to be as disciplined with it as I can because yeah. people are like, well, why don't you take days off or just skip the gym this week? I'm like, no, because then that's next week. It's harder. Yep. Well, and then it gets me in this. Oh, this, um, it breaks my cycle, yeah. you know, and you're like, it breaks your mental game mm-hmm. too. And it's, it's a lot of mental game too, you know, cause you're like, well, what am I gaining? Cause I personally don't see any physical, um, <laughs> I don't see any physical change, right? I still see myself as the same person 10 years ago. You know, I didn't see any physical change and I hear guys all the time like, man, you've lost a lot of weight oh, yeah. and you're looking good and you're slimming down. And then, you know, and then, but then I go out and hike in like for the deer hunt and i see myself and i'm like dude i'm i used to be the guy in the back who was everyone was waiting for Mm -hmm. and then they'd catch up and they'd be like all right let's go and i'm fucking dying and i'm like i need a break like what the fuck they're like you're not getting a break because you're in the back and now i'm the guy who's at the front like dude like come on let's go and i'm waiting for them you know and it's like and then they get to me and i start walking and they're like fuck i want a break it's like (laughs) i didn't get one so like we need to keep going like you got to get with it. You got to understand I worked hard to be here and I'm not waiting on anybody. I'm going. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a mindset that's different and I mean, I'm not I try to be a really good person and a good father and you know, my ultimate goal is is to be here for her forever. And that's my goal. But I mean, at the same time, you could wake up tomorrow and have a heart attack. That's could, very true. You know what I mean? I mean, we hell we had a guy have one in a bus. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it wasn't a super bad one. It was really mild, but still, it's still that happened that fast. And 
you know, blink of an eye, a drunk driver could run a red light, you know, yeah. and, and it's, I'm pretty good about paying attention while doing that. So are you, you're mm -hmm. a pretty active driver, right? And it's like, you know, watching your video this year, the, uh, Oh, in service. Yeah. And, and you watched them just blast through the intersection. Didn't look left or right or nothing. And everyone's like, what, what's wrong? And they're like, well, I didn't see anything wrong. The whole, everybody just was like, what do you mean? She did, did a good job. She looked at the green light and went straight. It's like, no, situational no. awareness. Yeah, she didn't know what the fuck was going on. There could have been a topless chick on the side of the corner that she didn't ever know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, That's so true. I say it like that jokingly because we're men. Yeah. But, you know, it could have been a, a toddler, you know what I mean, running after his ball. It could mm -hmm. have been so many different things, and no one pays attention to that. No one pays attention to the details. A lot of people are going through life, tunnel vision with blinders on. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And then... And then we're the bad people for being the, the optimists of being like, no, that's not how life works. That's not how the world works. Sorry. Well, yeah, it is. You know, they're Superman. He's going to stop the comets from hitting Earth. No, dude. <laughs> the dinosaurs died for a reason. <laughs> no, you, you got to be your own, your own Superman. And you got to just, like I said, the most important person to take care of is yourself first. Because if you're not taken care of, you ain't taking care of anyone else. Oh, yeah. Definitely. On that, hey, I want to thank you very much for coming and talking hunting, a little bit of guns, self-defense, <laughs> and motivation because I think a lot of people nowadays are missing that motivation to just get out there and do it. And the fact that people, they, you just need to believe in yourself yeah. to make yourself better. Oh, yeah. Because we have both done it. I've oh, seen yeah. it in both of us. After going through COVID, screwed me up. Yeah. And I look back, and it's really nice. Cause I get people that watch some of the old training videos I made and they're like, that's you. I'm like, yeah, I'm that pudgy guy. I'm yeah, not that anymore. <laughs> well, and drinking's one thing, right? I love drinking beer mm -hmm. and I still love drinking beer. And I haven't, I, I drink my first beer last for, or the last Friday. Cause I was done with my hunt. I got done and everything. And I was like, well, I'm going to go celebrate. And I went and had a couple beers with mm -hmm. some drivers and hung out and did our thing. And, um, and then, but the bad thing is the next day it sucked. And then to get back into the routine of it again, it was like, I had to sweat it all out and I felt like shit and I felt like crap for two days. And I just come to the realization, I don't like it. You know, yes, the feeling's great, but I don't like it because it, it, you know, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, people. We got two dogs in here that are, and the one is grooming the other and I know it's coming through the speaker. <laughs> They, uh, um, gizmo, <laughs> there you go, bud. They, uh, it, uh, yeah, it just makes you feel like you're letting yourself down. You're not announcing to anything. Right? Yeah. And, and that's where it's at. And so I've just completely pretty much cut it out of my life. I did it to enjoy myself one day, but then it took me three days to recoup from it, you know? So I'm not, I'm in the same boat, like where you, you've went like, cold fucking turkey which is way more hardcore than i am but i i had to though because i realized that i had turned into someone i could not respect yeah. i couldn't respect myself and when i realized what i had done to other people yeah. what i had done to myself and who i had let down i was like this has got to end yeah. and, and i have nothing against people who drink yeah even if you want to party and have that life go yeah. for it me i was a terrible alcoholic and i did things i'm not proud of and but I look back at it and I'm like, I just know what I'm not going back to. Yeah. And, and it makes you a weaker person. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, there's guys out there who can drink a 30 case in a day and, 
get up and just do it every day and and work out and lift and do whatever and work hard as hell that's not me yeah i don't like that shit and i definitely don't want to do it and so it's not me either <laughs> now we've got a cat whining to come in so um thanks travis thanks for coming on thanks mark and uh everyone out there be happy be humble and be safe we'll see y'all later <laughs>